Hello, and welcome to a new season of Stuff We've Seen. That's right, back, and possibly better than ever. Uh, this is the gym, or uh, for those who've been listening uh, to the few episodes in the past year, the movie Morlock. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, surprise, surprise, haven't been on the air for a few months, and uh Coming back with a new season of Stuff We've Seen. Maybe it'll be a little different, maybe not as frequent, maybe the pressure will be off so we can get some episodes uh, taped. Maybe there won't be any summers, I don't know, maybe this is a new thing. Um, But anyways, I can't do it alone, so uh, here he is. The man who spent the past year as the official records keeper for the former president of the United States, the Grand Meister of Mar-a-Lago, Teal. How's it going, buddy? How's it going? Good, good, good. I just, uh, you know, been. Uh, I, I put a new padlock in the pool house today. Oh, great, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you were quite busy boy the past year, but it seems like you're getting out. Well, the night that, now. I don't. I don't know about busy. I mean, you kind of just uh, throw some stuff in the closet with some old newspapers <laughs> and kind of hang out in the uh, bar and uh, drink some Mai Tais. And it's it's not that bad a job, really. It's kind of low pressure. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I mean, <laughs> on the on the, on the the looking on the bright side of the things, I mean, the fact is there's such a level of stupidity going on over there that it really wouldn't surprise me if they literally just grabbed stuff and didn't realize what they had. There's actually that defense that could be made because these yes. people are so effing stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, except, you know, they didn't give it back when they were asked. Yeah, so it's just, it's just sad. Um, but anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here about talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're here to talk about the new season. We, it's it's like, uh, I'm, I'm, when you were doing the intro, I was thinking, what what is a TV show that's taken an incredibly long time between seasons? Maybe Breaking Bad took a really long time. Uh, certainly... <laughs> Sorry. Certainly, Stranger Things has taken. Yes, it's some weird. Time like the Stranger between. Things, people were like, "Is it ever coming yeah. back?" <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to end the show completely. Um, like, I wasn't going to do any movie Morlock. I'd kind of been done. I just never had what it took to actually do a goodbye episode. <laughs> so instead, I was like, "Maybe we can do a new stuff we've seen." And here we are. We're back talking about movies, and I uh, I saw a movie. You saw one. So in the last year, you saw one movie. Hey. In the last year, I saw one movie. Uh, Yeah, it was great. It's called Moonfall. Oh, (laughs) is that that Emmerich thing? Yes. My wife just watched it. must be on cable or something, but my wife just watched it, and she said it was the biggest bag of crap ever. No, it's worse than that. It's worse than the biggest bag of crap ever. I mean, I think Roland Emmerich films are terrible in general, (laughs) right? But this was like... A bad parody of a Roman Emmerich film. Uh, it just makes no sense on any level. There's leaps of location and logic and time that make no. I mean, it, it, on no level does this movie make any sense, uh, and in a way that's not even so bad. It's good, kind of. It, it's just it's boring. It's unenjoyable. It's flat. It's it, it's really bad. I was shocked. <laughs> uh, I was I was expecting you know, I was expecting 2012, which is a ridiculous, over the top disaster movie, but is some kind of in some way kind of enjoyable because it's so bad. I saw that in the and, theater. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's some dumb fun to be had there. 
Now, isn't Patrick, I, I, I peeked in for a moment because I was like, what the hell are you watching? And was Patrick Wilson in that, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And I kept on thinking, wait, is this like The Conjuring, but in outer space? Like, are they, <laughs> is him and his partner, like, they're going to look for Annabelle or whatever, but in space? And it's it, it's Halle Berry. Oh, Halle Berry's in it, right, right. Yeah, she's basically, yeah, they're the sort of co-leads. And, I guess uh, the uh, Halle Berry renaissance from the third John Wick movie is already turned a corner. Oh, I was thinking the Catwoman renaissance, but yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. Uh. <laughs> See, this is always great about the show. The surprises, I never know what you're going to talk about, and I certainly wasn't expecting that you were going to talk about Moonfall. Yeah, I was uh, I was holding on to that one as a little surprise for you because I I I had hoped you'd seen it. Uh, oh, I you know I just realized there's so much content now. Um, I mean, not in the theaters. I mean, I don't even have a theater near me anymore. But you know, they don't have a full slate of movies to go to. But online and streaming, there's just so much that I really have to be choosy. And if I don't, if I'm not interested in something anymore, I just don't waste time because I just don't feel like I have the time to waste. Yeah, I've dropped a few movies recently. Uh, yeah, I, again, sometimes I'm just in, you know, it's late at night. I, I know I'm going to bed soon and I just think, oh, I'll check in on this. This might be dumb fun for 10 or 15 minutes. And then if I like it, you know, I'll, I'll keep going the next night or something. Uh, but this movie on Hulu called The Princess. Oh, I wanted to see that. Not desperately because I haven't watched it yet, but um, it looked like it might be some fun. Is it good? It's not that fun. Oh. It, it's, uh, <laughs> the, the preview makes it look like it's a hoot. Well, if you've seen the preview, you've seen the whole movie. Oh, okay. So maybe I can put that in the bottom of the pile. I would put it at the bottom. Of, I, I didn't finish it. I think I watched a half an hour of it, and then it just kind of, I mean, it's basically just an extended action scene, and the action is okay. Okay. Yeah, you like action movies, but you want them to be a good action. Yes. I, I love action movies, and I've seen a couple of decent B-movies, uh, B-action movies over the last year that are kind of fun and enjoyable. Uh, I've seen a bunch that are terrible. But, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, Polar was kind of fun with Mads Mikkelsen. Didn't see it. Kate with, uh, what's her name, uh, from Scott Pilgrim. I loved that. That was yeah, great. That's, a, that's great. Uh, Jolt with Kate Beckinsale. I didn't see that. That's sort of like you Total. could be like a whole trilogy where you could have those two and gunpowder milkshake and make a whole night. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then there's one with Ethan Hawke. I think it's called uh, 24 Hours to Live or something. Don't even, never even heard of this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I caught that on. I forget which service it was on, but th that was, uh, you know, as a B action movie, it was pretty fun. It had some good action. Ethan Hawke is enjoyable to watch. Uh, but those are the only four. I watched probably 30 of these. But wait a minute. Okay, so it's, a not, it, it's an action movie, not quite like those. However, I would put it in the B movie category but i put it in the very top tier because it caught me by surprise because there's no reason it should have been any good just based on all the movies that came before it but the um the sort of new entry into the predator series prey yeah and it's great i loved it yes it's fantastic i watched it with my daughter she she hasn't seen any of the other predator movies but uh but she loved it and she's it's interesting. Part of the reason I showed her the trailer for The Princess. Okay. And 
uh, for some reason, I, I don't totally understand her argument, but I'll, I'll get into Is this into the older daughter? Yeah, the older daughter. Okay. And, uh, but she is, she hates girl boss movies. Girl boss. Okay. Yeah. Is, is Prey considered girl boss? Well, it could be, but she's, she felt that Prey totally pulled it off, whereas the princess totally failed. Mm. And it has to. And it has to do with how much it sexualizes the character. Well, that's interesting. There's like another girl boss movie. I think Paramount has it, and it's called, oh, The Honor Roll or something. Did not see that. Yeah, it's like this girl with the last name Honor, and of course it's the whole, she wants to get into the most exclusive college ever, and the only thing standing in her way is some other smart kid that she's going to like totally derail his chances. But then, of course, romance brews. Right. <laughs> I think she's, I think that's the girl boss. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I I now know this term, but I'm I'm kind of fascinated by it. Like I kind of want to, I, I think we should delve into that on a future show where we do the girl I think, boss. Yeah, that, that would be a good theme. And I'll get more info from my daughter about what she thinks about when it works and when it doesn't. This is good. I think we have a genre coming up in the future. Yeah, but she definitely felt that Prey worked. I, I I just I just thought it was a great movie. I wish uh, I wish it had been released theatrically. I know it's funny. Even if I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater, I feel like they it, it somehow still diminishes it for me. If they don't, if it doesn't get a theatrical release, well, it's like they it, it, it's like the distributors just don't think as uh, you know think very highly of it. And well, it no, I really, think it was not the. I mean, well, I guess the main distributor there was, was it. What is the company now? They're like just twentieth century. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it probably all comes down to dollars and cents in an algorithm that I don't understand. But sure, it's because yeah. of the sharedness of like the studios and all these other things that while we think why not get some extra change out of the movie, it may end up somehow costing them to do that. I guess I don't know. Uh, who knows what the financials are, and clearly this made more sense. There just wasn't that much programming this summer. It could have easily made $100 million, especially when people found out a good Predator movie. I've looked over. I haven't I haven't watched any of them, but after that, I sort of looked over the Predator collection. <laughs> the, yes, the Predator collection. The first one <laughs> yeah. is a classic. The first one is a classic, which, and I haven't seen it in years. Uh, but you know, when it came out, I saw it two or three times in the theater. I had the, I had the, uh, like subway size French predator poster mm. in my, uh, room in high school, my bedroom. Uh, I loved that movie. Uh, predator two is predator two has one interesting thing about it. I know what it is. I'm not going to, but I know what you're talking about. It's kind of like what everybody thought was interesting about it. Oh, what are you thinking about? Oh, I thought it was the fact that like you get a chance to go into their alien ship and you see like a skull of alien, which opened up the idea that, oh. of alien. Oh, yeah. No, that's not the interesting thing I oh, was thinking okay. about. The interesting thing I was thinking about is that it's one of the few movies where they didn't do wet downs of the streets at night. <laughs> yes, I know that for people, I'm going to, you know, just in case someone's like, what? <laughs> well, there's this practice. And if you ever went to like film school, they kind of like, mm, that's something you find out about. But just yeah. for some strange reason, <laughs> the, at night, a lot of times they wet the streets down to give it kind of a shimmer and a glimmer. But I always find it distracting. 
It is distract. Well, and it, the uh, part of the idea is it just creates more light because you've got this reflection off the street, and so it makes the image a little bit more vibrant. But they didn't do that in Predator Two, and the dry streets actually look kind of cool. Yeah, I I agree with you. <laughs> Yeah, no, and and the look of the movie, it takes place in L.A. some time in the future, and it just looks hot and dry. It's like a desert look, but in a city. They had a great concept, bad execution. Yes. Well, I have to say that about every Stephen Hopkins movie. Oh, that's right. That's who they got to direct it. Um, yeah. This film, though, the new one, Prey, see, they have a great concept, and they had a great execution. Great execution, great act. The brother was performance was great, and the lead actress, which kind of wasn't pre- I don't know, terrible preparation here. Don't remember her name, but she, like her eyes, are so hypnotic yes. in that movie, and she uses them to such great effect that yes. uh, she, I feel like, is going to have a, a major career. Now, I didn't watch, but I kind of I, I want to see the movie a second time so I can watch the Comanche version. What What are you talking about? Oh, you didn't know they they have a they ha- there's a version of the movie on Hulu that's dubbed in Comanche. Oh, but they dubbed it. It's not like they filmed it twice. It, no, they didn't film it twice. They dubbed it, but it's supposed to be really cool because they do be ver- speak Comanche sometimes in the new right. Film. But this is the entire movie, which I think would make it uh, more interesting with the language stuff and the translator character and. Uh, the the French trapper colonist guys. Yeah. Uh, I think s- some of the, having that language difference in the movie would actually be really interesting. Interesting. I liked Prey a lot. I saw it th- like the. I guess this is where I would have seen this in the theater because it was something that I couldn't wait. Opening night on Hulu, we watched it. Right. Yeah. And and there's actually a crisis in the theater business right now because there's no movies. There is very few offerings, and then of course. Unless it's some big thing to to get people in, no one's going. Like I even uh, yeah, what's it called? There was that new uh, George Miller movie, Three Thousand Years of Longing. I, I did want to go, and my wife and I were gonna drive and go to it, and then that day came and we're like, eh, I don't feel like going out. Yeah, and that's happened to me with a few movies where I just you know can't quite get it together, and it, I I'll, I'll go to the movies that my kids demand to see in the theater whether i want to or not i'm looking at you thor and love and thunder (laughs) oh i didn't see that i i saw it because my kids were like i want to see this in the theater and you know my youngest daughter spent the last year uh watching the entire mcu okay every marvel too young obviously for a lot of those that came out and uh my kids have seen them and they don't really care anymore (laughs) Yeah, so she, you know, it, she just finished watching all of them, and she finished, I think, two weeks, and then she watched uh, the Wanda show, WandaVision, and she watched the Hawkeye show, and she watched the Captain America show, and so she was all caught up, and then we saw Doctor Strange in the theater, and then we saw the Lord, Thor Love and Thunder movie, which she hated. I, I didn't hear good things about it, and I probably, when it hits Disney in a, like another week, I think, I, I'll, I'll check it out, I guess. 
Yeah, it's it's one of the weakest Marvel movies in my opinion. It's just not uh, it's just not a whole lot of you know. I, I'm not a big fan of the Marvel movies, but I've sort of learned to uh, turn my brain off and enjoy them through my children's eyes. Well, I think the problem's going is going to happen. I guess is that that now I feel like I mean you know the main heroes. They don't really have those in those movies. On they're on like Marvel Phase Two or Three or whatever they call right. it. And Five, I think, seven. As long as people keep shelling out money to see it, no matter what the content or the quality is, they're not going to change. Right? It's going to take a movie yeah. failing that they think is pretty good for them to start to worry that oh maybe uh, people are not interested anymore. Yeah, and I. I don't know when that's going to happen because these movies also do well internationally. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that my kids are really, (laughs) we went and saw the Doctor Strange and we had to drive a good distance to go see it. Yeah. And at the end of it, when we're home, my youngest was actually upset and mad that he had to spend a whole day involved in it because it was so terrible that's what he just felt and now now i could not even get them in the car to see a marvel movie (laughs) yeah i saw dr strange in imax 3d and that was your first imax movie experience it was my first imax and first first 3d experience actually so what did you think of that uh, I, I, it was a great entertainment experience. It's a, it's a so-so movie, but the, uh, but the, but being in the uh, super loud, super bright, giant 3d screen was cool. And that, and that was fun. And, uh, there were certain sequences that looked really cool in 3d. And, uh, so it was an enjoyable entertainment experience, kind of, you know, just like a show. I mean, so, you know, I have a lot more IMAX experience than you do. And I would say that we went, so when we saw Doctor Strange, we did choose a 3D showing. And that's because I knew the type of effects that they do in Doctor Strange lend itself to the 3D. Yes, That depth stuff, you know? Yeah. And then I would say that by and large, I will take a pass at 3D. However, this December... I will absolutely, we'll take a drive. We will see the new Avatar movie in IMAX 3D. It's the only way to see it. Yes. Well, and I want to see the first I, first Avatar movie, but I, I'm having a really hard time. Uh, it's being re-released in yeah. September. Will it be released in I, IMAX? Yes. And I, <clears throat> it'll be released in IMAX 3D. But I can't figure out where it's playing. I, I've had a terrible time finding what theaters it's coming out at. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they don't do, again, like everything cut, they don't spend a lot of time giving you advance notice of these things. So I will yeah. keep a watch out for it and let you know. I, I know that if I can, my kids, they love the Avatar movie. They've never seen it in the theater. And both of them would love to see the first one in IMAX. Um, and they would definitely take a drive for that. I yeah. did see two movies in IMAX um, this summer because uh, I made a lot of trips to Massachusetts. And one of them, I think, out of all the movies I've seen in IMAX, it is definitely in my top five. I, I think it was just so fantastic. And, of course, it's everybody must agree with me because it's a huge yeah. sensation is Top Gun. Uh, yeah, everybody – man, people just saw this movie over and over again. Because you know what? So here's the funny thing, right? So I wasn't going to come down for it. I was going to see it in the theater when it came out, but I was talking to my sister and she and her husband, 
they went and saw like a special screening of it, not an IMAX, but like in some nice theater uh, that was a few days before it opened. And she said, it's so fantastic. If you were to come down, we would go and see it with you again in IMAX because we wanted yeah. to see it again. And when it went, so my oldest and I went and saw it with my sister and her husband and we were, kind of, I was kind of floored at the end of it. I mean, the the visuals are just incredible. Are yeah. incredible. And that's why I think it, it really is a hook is that somehow it like, it followed a formula and as a C, maybe it took them like, you know, it's like 30 plus years later, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but they, instead of a sequel that just kind of like sucked and like tried to emulate the first movie and what it did right, this film somehow knew all of the right things that people wanted from yes. the original. Um, and then he somehow, you know, topped it with visuals that are just absolutely so stunning and then of course seeing it on like a giant imax screen i mean it was i saw it in dolby vision i think and that's still great i mean anything you can see in a great you know theater it's just it's such a great experience and i mean again they did the the little things that they did i don't know why that anybody would even think of doing this but they did and it started off like they somehow knew that the right way to get you into that movie is give you that opening score and the credits to make you feel like you're back in 1986 or something why you know normally in a sequel they might like take that that score and they update it and turn it into something new but nope they said we're going to use this and it was like i immediately felt at ease like you get chills from it because like these people get it (laughs) they know and i'm gonna be in for a great time my my uh, 10-year-old daughter keeps putting Danger Zone on. She gets it <laughs> stuck in her head. The, and and <laughs> the Top Gun movie uh, also started her obsession with Tom Cruise. We, we don't want to get too, too, too obsessed because next well, thing you know, she'll be st- studying a, <laughs> an e-meter. Well, and- <laughs> part, part of her obsession, and this is interesting because it ties into the Marvel thing, is a, a big part of her obsession is that Tom Cruise movies are real. Yes. Right. He like, Right. When you see a Mission Impossible movie, like that last one was so sensational because he's doing these insane real stunts. He's actually flying the helicopter. There's not green screen. I know. It's and, great. And so compared to, so we've, I've watched maybe 10 Tom Cruise movies in the last month. Wow. It's fascinating. Yeah. And- uh, you know, I mean, I think Edge of Tomorrow is one of the best action movies of the last. Terrible title, but it was a phenomenal movie. Phenomenal movie. And so, you know, and we watched all the Mission Impossible movies. And so, I, yeah, I've watched maybe maybe 10 Tom Cruise movies. And across the board, they're great because there's so little green screen. Well, think about this. And Even Days of Thunder, he's in the car. He's in the car, right. yes. Color of Money, which I actually saw in the last year. Again, I hadn't seen it in a long time. He's play, He's doing the pool, except for one shot. He's doing all the yes. pool. <laughs> he's doing, yes, he's actually. And so the fact that he is sort of anti-digital uh, makes these movies come to life in a way that, you know, every Marvel, you know, so she, my daughter went and watched all this behind the scenes and making of stuff. This was part of her obsession with Tom Cruise because she watched the making of Marvel movies and she was just like, everything is green. So the entire movie is blue screen. There's nothing real in it. And and then she watches the Tom Cruise behind the scenes stuff and she's like, oh my God, he's actually hanging onto the side of the plane. 
That's insane. That's so cool. Yeah. And so for a lot of kids, just I think it's really fascinating. You're talking about your daughter. All they've seen and they're conditioned to when they go to the movies is what it looks like for CGI, which is probably why yes. CGI hasn't bothered them the way it bothers us. But then they see this Top Gun and they're like, whoa, this looks so much different. <laughs> It's a whole different thing. And, you know, there's shots, many shots in Top Gun Maverick where you see the speed and the G's and the weight of what's happening on their faces. You know, there's there's the scene where uh, Tom Cruise does the, uh, the training run by himself oh, to prove so that it can be done. And you see him getting uh, battered around in the cockpit. Uh, when he takes these turns and it, it's so visceral compared to what you see in a Marvel movie. And it really has an impact on the audience and in terms of how immersive it is and how engaged we are in what's happening on screen. I guarantee you um, fast forward to next year and unless something else comes in the way, that will be your winner for best editing for the Oscar guarantee it. Yeah, that's just the kind I, of movie think, that wins. But yeah. like, you know, I mean, it, it, all those effects that, that that go into, I mean, that that film, and again, you have to give some uh, credit to the director, uh, but Joe Kaczynski. Yeah, he, he he did a great job. I mean, you, you're pulling off a film like it shouldn't have worked. And I wonder, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I've been thinking about this. If Top Gun had come out the year that it was supposed to come out, and say there had been no pandemic. My thought is it would have probably done well, but I don't think it would have been a smash hit as I it agree. was today because the environment, like, you know, again, we're more polarized than ever, but I think there would be a lot of people that because of the previous administration would somehow feel like they don't want to support it being pro-military right. or something. And talk about weird timing. There's this conflict with Ukraine and yes. we feel very powerless that we can't help. And so while you have sort of an unnamed enemy in this movie, kind of, you feel like that could be, it's sort of a surrogate for, yes, like we need to win something. And so I feel like it gave audiences uh, in America this catharsis of winning something. I, I think that's true. And I think also just in terms of the theatrical experience of, you know, not really seeing movies in the theater for two years and then wanting, you know, we can finally, you know, Spider-Man, I think, sort of had the same impact, yes. which was just, we want to get out and we want to see something big and overwhelming and visceral something that really grabs us and pulls us into the screen and those are the movies that are that that people have been going to the theater for yeah but it's unfortunate that then that goes away like people only want to go in as an event like for instance i thought it was fascinating i've seen this minions movie that came out and i guess i i realize now that those were films that i saw through the eyes of my kids and enjoyed that way, but I don't enjoy them anymore. And I just found it completely tedious and I haven't fell asleep for 10 minutes watching it on the couch. <laughs> I, 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 I keep bringing that up as like, well, do you want to watch minions? And my kids are like, no, nah, not really. And, and part of it is my 10 year old, because of this top gun Maverick movie has discovered something else is she used to be really into animation. She didn't, you know, if it was like a family movie night, she would choose animation over live action because right. she would get scared and stuff. And, but this movie 
made her realize that she loves PG-13 action movies. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but I saw this Minions. There was nothing that like, I don't know. The only reason it was a success as it was because of some bizarre meme challenge that got created <laughs> by kids wearing suits. And so when my <laughs> wife was out this summer with the kids, they went to see, they were in Texas visiting her family and they went and saw like the Jurassic Park movie. But she literally took a picture as a kid going to see the Minions dressed in a tux or something or a suit yeah <laughs> and that was the it was the tick it was a tiktok fad and i think it's i i think it's wonderful i do uh, too but it, like that's the reason why yeah. people were seeing this movie only so they could participate it had nothing to do with yes. the movie itself <laughs> and the movie itself was not really that good um i just I've which seen, i think was part of the point I was <laughs> they had to be you know, an excuse it's kind of, yeah, um, you know, it's sort of like you don't want to make a, a an audience spectacle out of a good movie, right? I mean, if they if they could have figured out how to <laughs> done the um, the J.K. Rowling challenge for the last Harry Potter or, or right, but Guardians, but, but of the, that, what, what, that, what was that called? Fantastic Beast. That's right. Nobody wants but to that, do that. But but that movie is like five hours long <laughs> and boring as hell. It's not a good five hours and. You know, Minions is what, like 85 minutes? Yeah, and that was too much. <laughs> right, but you can get in and get out in your tux and have a <laughs> and have a fun time goofing <laughs> off with your friends in the theater. And, you know, you would just get ground down into this, like, depressing existential crisis by a J.K. Rowling movie. Besides, not, you know, not to mention the fact that they all hate J.K. Rowling, Rowling yeah. now. I mean, let's put it this way. Rowling. It's been now, I don't even know if it's still on there, but it was on HBO, right? Uh, like 40 days after the movie came out. And it's been out there, and I, I had no desire to watch it. I didn't watch it. But now, you know, we've got, we've been, we're about a half an hour into the program, and uh, yeah. I, I have some things I'm going to throw <laughs> out at you. Um, well, because I also, we don't have to talk, we can talk about it if you want to. Um, but uh, the other movie I saw in IMAX was uh, Nope. Yes. Then the uh, Jordan Peele. And the reason why I wanted to see that in IMAX is because that whole film was shot on 65 yes. millimeter film with a large portion of it being 65 millimeter IMAX film, which is they flip the negative a certain way. So you get all right. 15 perforations. And for a chunk of scenes in that movie, you're getting an IMAX full, like immersive negative. Yeah. And even though the IMAXs are pretty much all digital now, I saw it in digital laser, it, it's still the image is so sharp and it's very impactful. So I wanted to experience it the way that it was shot. Yeah. And that was my original plan, but I couldn't convince anyone in my family to see it. You know what? You asked them and they said, nope. <laughs> they did. <laughs> and you got confused. And, You're like, wait, nope, you want to see it or nope, you don't. <laughs> but, uh, and I'll say the reason that they didn't want to see it is because uh, it's a terrible title. Nope. And the marketing was atrocious. Every time they saw the trailer, they said, we have no idea what, what this, uh, this is totally confusing. I don't know what the movie's about. Why would I want to see it? I I don't even know, like, and it was, the t the trailers were terrible. Well, that's the problem is today's audiences, right? Jordan Peele wants to keep some surprise. And so you yeah. have to go see the movie, but people don't work like that anymore. And so had they revealed and shown like the alien spaceship or something, then that might've actually gotten some people in the theater. They could have at least revealed that it was about aliens. But see, I knew that going in. I think I knew enough. I didn't. Oh, I kind of just even from the teaser, but I'm good at like, you know, deciphering things. But I really went in not knowing very much of it all. I really didn't know what the story was going to be. 
I did too, even though, you know, I, I watched it at home. I didn't watch it in the theater. But yes, the cinematography I thought was fantastic. And I ended up really liking this movie and wishing I had seen it in the theater. But, you know, I kind of have to get back in the habit of uh, going to the theater by myself, I guess. Yeah, and that's what I do. I mean, this this weekend, not because it's uh, supposed to be National Theater Day or whatever, but IMAX has sh- been showing. I couldn't get, I mean, I can, there's only so many times I can get out to Massachusetts for a movie. Right. But, uh, and, and the summer, I went a lot because the, the Somerville Theater was showing some 70 millimeter movies again. And I did go several times to check out some kind of bucket list 70 millimeter movies for me. Right. They did show E.T. A few weeks ago in IMAX, and if I if it was near, I would have loved to have seen that because um, yeah. I know that the John Williams score it's one of my favorites of his scores, and I think it's really it's so effective for the material. But to hear that rousing score in the theater yeah. again with the big images that would have been pretty cool. But uh, they're also this weekend showing Jaws in IMAX. Yes, and that's just for me. It's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's it's just one of those movies. I've seen that movie at least 20 times in my life. Right. And it's an opportunity to see it in IMAX. I just am not passing it up. Yeah, and I thought about doing that this Saturday, but uh, could not convince my kid to see Jaws. But yet she, she says she likes the action movies. She does, but she just, you know, she's still a little wary of things and she wants to watch the trailers. So anyhow, we're going to see E.T. on Saturday. In IMAX? Uh, No. Oh, just the regular, regular (laughs) non-Max. Yeah, no no Max. Well, that's still good. I think that's a film that you should see in the theater. Yeah, and she's never seen it. And that's even better. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I wish I could do a double feature. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I, I'm somewhat tempted, but I don't think the timing works out. And it's just, it'll be a long drive at the end of it. But uh, the Somerville Theater, while not in 70, they will be showing in 4K uh, digital. They're showing Apocalypse Now, the final dossier. Is that what it's called now? Eh, sometimes it's called Final Cut, but also Final okay. Dossier. But it's it's not the two hour and a half version of the original and it's not the three hour and 20 minute version of the right. redux it's like three hours so right so there's i was thinking of watching all three cuts in one day in one no day. i'm joking i, I would day. do that challenge if you wanted to talk uh, apocalypse i now. would do the challenge but i wouldn't do it all in one day but i would watch all three cuts for uh, yeah i would do that challenge i do want to see the 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 three hour version there's just one there you know what i think that the redux version is a masterpiece but there's one thing i don't agree with in it yeah uh, let me guess okay uh, i may have said it before but I, I don't know. Is it the French plantation? No, I like the French plantation scene. Then it's the Playboy bunnies. No, the- it's not about what he added in. He moved oh. something and I don't agree with what he moved. Oh, interesting. Okay. There's a scene for those of you who've seen any of the cuts. Uh, there's a scene <laughs> towards the beginning that when he first gets to the, the, the PT boat, yeah. And he meets the crew. Not long afterwards, they put on their radio, they're blasting, um, I can't get no satisfaction. And there's the water skiing. And the water right? skiing. And what I liked about that is it kind of gives us this feeling like, you know, there's that sort of, oh, we're just having a party down here in Vietnam. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, it gets serious, right? Not too far after that. And then in the Redux version, that scene's not there and it jolted me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. But then it comes way later in the film and it may be coming at the point where he originally had meant it to be 
Right, but it doesn't work later. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Instead, it's so surreal. Like, they're so far gone now. He's doing it as almost yeah. a way to, like, snap them back to the old reality. From an editing standpoint, when you move things around, you really do change the impact. Yeah. And so I'm curious if that goes back to where it was. I don't know yet. Yeah, well, uh, I'm. I do want to see this new cut. So, and I also want to see the new uh, Godfather three cut. Um, I have watched half of it. Okay, and it is be- better. But the problem is the the some of the stuff is. I mean, it's just Sofia Coppola, poor Sofia Coppola. She's just so bad. At yeah. It. It, years have not made that performance any better. Right. It's just terrible. Yeah. I mean, she has no business being in that. And he can say what he wants, but the fact is you couldn't find some actress other than her to take that. I, I just don't buy it. There's a million no-name actresses who probably could have done that better. I mean, I know there's a history behind the people that were supposed to be that role. Anyways, I, I do want to finish it at some point, but it just shows you that while I was able to get through half of it, I haven't gotten back to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't, I, I, I only saw that movie once. I hated it. And I kind of don't want to sully my love of Godfather 1 and 2 by watching it again. Okay. Well, here's one reason. If you want to go for like, what, what, what reasons can we get to watch it? I have been on a little bit of a Gordon Willis kick. <laughs> Okay, yeah. And I've been been watching I, I can see that. some of his stuff that people have not. Like, I watched that movie Perfect. Yes. And I'd never seen it. And Oh, you hadn't? No. I saw it in the theater. No, I, I kind of, it, it, it's a misfire, but it still has some interesting stuff going on yeah. in it. But I just, again, I like seeing things that Gordon Willis shot. I've also started watching his um, movie that he directed, which, is it called Windows? And I think so. It's, yeah. it's it, it got a lot of flack, and I can understand why because it's 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 insensitive. Um, it treats like lesbians as like evil villains. Okay, yeah, that that doesn't hold up so well. So I haven't gotten back to watching more than like twenty minutes of it, but damn it, that movie is gorgeous and it has amazing compositions. Have you ever seen the movie Malice? Well, yeah, I mean that's another one he shot. It's freaking amazing looking. Yeah, I went to see it in the theater just because he shot it. The, the, here's the thing is, the funny thing is, is I think he's one of the greatest cinematographers of the last 50 years. And yeah. he wasn't nominated for some of the most amazing films that he shot. Um, right. Like, I mean, I'm talking like <laughs> like Clute and Godfather yes. 1 and 2. But he got nominated for the worst of the Godfathers, Godfather 3. And I remember at the time <laughs> not really appreciating the, even the cinematography. I just thought the whole movie sucked. But you watch this, this yeah. new cut again. And damn it, man, Gordon Willis figures out a way to make the movie look like it belongs with the other two. That's pretty cool so you okay. gotta check it out for the cinematography okay, so that's, that's one that's one reason to watch the movie yeah i love gordon willis as a cinematographer so that you should check out yeah and i've, I've really been wanting to watch the money pit again he shot that too yes that's right yeah yep. he did a lot of for hire type <laughs> stuff um he did but but he always uh did something interesting with it okay i'm gonna switch gears i want to ask because yeah. these are things i've been itching to ask you about yeah and we don't have to spend a lot of time because I've actually, uh, when I was just by myself in the movie Morlock, I, I did talk about this movie two different occasions, but okay. I actually feel like it's a film that's interesting to talk about still. I think I understand that you may have seen Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. 
I did. I saw it. I watched it with my teenage daughter. Oh, well, see, now that's fascinating to hear what uh, she might think. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, so I guess the first thing to talk about with this movie is something that sort of threw her off was the was the script is the it is the structure of it is that it's kind it's a little episodic uh it doesn't have a strong it doesn't have the classical hollywood narrative of a strong central character overcoming obstacles to reach a goal even yeah. though you know that's that's under there uh, you know, I think that definitely with the main character is there to some extent, uh, but the pacing is really unique. I agree, and it it sort of has digressions, and it, go, it it just goes in different directions, and it meanders a little bit, and so it leaves you, uh, or not leaves you, but while you're watching it, it, you're not quite sure where it's going or what to hold on to, and so she just kind of threw out it. She was like, "What is going on in this movie?" <laughs> She, um, she ended up really liking it and thinking, you know, it was a really interesting look at teenage life in, in this time period. But yeah, but she, but she was a little thrown off just by the structure of the script. And, you know, that's something that I really liked about it is that it's because of that, it feels sort of fresh and new. And it, in a way, it also feels like a 70s movie where there was a little bit more flexibility in the pacing of screenplays. And But that's something that I'm looking for when I see a movie is something, an, another movie that did a similar thing this year was Everything Everywhere All at Once. I've seen it twice now because I saw it with my daughter in the theater and then uh, my wife wanted to see it. So I watched it again with her at home. And I have to say, I liked it even more the second time. I was anticipating you saying I didn't like it as much the second time, but you liked it even more. I liked it even more. And the reason why is it's this pacing issue again, is that I think the pacing of the movie is kind of weird. You're not quite sure where it's going. It's uh, the reveals happen at strange times. It's it's two hours and 20 minutes long. And so I, the first time I saw it, I got a little bit impatient with it because I wasn't quite sure where it was going. And, you know, it's got this incredibly frantic pace, uh, particularly the beginning. And uh, well, I mean, the whole movie actually has kind of a frantic pace. And then <laughs> suddenly there'll be an action scene that goes on for five minutes. So I couldn't quite figure out how to hold on to the pace of the movie and seeing it a second time, I knew kind of what I was getting in that sense. And so I relaxed into the movie more and wasn't impatient with it and uh, just sort of took it as, a, as for what it was. And I was more generous with it and ended up enjoying it even more. Well, I mean, you're just proving that old adage that these really good movies – they reward you on repeat viewings. I, I've seen yes. Licorice Pizza now three times. First time I saw it in the theater and got to see it in 70 millimeter. I enjoyed that experience and had the very similar reactions to you as to far as, and your daughter, that this is not your typical story and screenplay. It's very interesting and weird. And I, I, I was like, I like this movie. I just don't know why I like it. And then it was one of those right. I thought about more and more. Then the second viewing that I saw at home my wife had been waiting to see it and we rented it on demand and she really enjoyed it and had some very interesting things to say about it. And then just recently it came on Amazon Prime and I watched it yeah. with my oldest and it was in 4K and you know, it looked great. And again, it's just one of those films that 
I can just sit in and relax and kind of really enjoy the things that are going on and that he's, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, just, I mean, he's a master of moving the camera. Yes. And I mentioned Gordon Willis, and because I've been watching a lot of Gordon Willis films, I noticed this the second time around watching it. He, uh, he being Paul Thomas Anderson, when they were designing the look of the film, he color palette wise, he was really going for the kind of sort of like light oranges and browns right. of those early 70s movies. Like this is a guy who actually understands not just like what does the 70s look like, but like what did the sort of right. films of the 70s look like? And what and what was that color palette? And the movie has an incredible color palette. So, I mean, it's just, to me, it's a, it's yeah. key. I know that like, you know, he had a lot of controversy. We don't have to go into those because I feel like I've already picked through those on the show before, but. Uh, okay. I haven't, and I don't really care. So. Okay, good. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just that Paul Thomas Anderson, what I still love about him as a filmmaker is you don't just see one of his films and just feel like, oh, these are the Paul Anderson uh, tropes. And that, you know, he's got these things like, like, like Spielberg, right? He always has these like tropes that pop up and some bad habits but i feel like when you watch this movie licorice pizza if his name wasn't on it i don't know if you'd right away recognize it was a paul thomas anderson movie yes you would oh you would yeah (laughs) you absolutely would uh there's something about the performances that are very paul thomas anderson interesting but like you said his camera movement is unmistakable yeah it's he's got a signature camera movement and the other thing that i want to say is you were saying you you liked it even more the more you saw it i think that's true with most of his movies i liked the master the first time i saw it but it's better on repeated viewings we're sort of catching up on this episode of things we've seen over the last you know a lot of 2022 movies some late 2021 uh let's see some terrible movies okay (laughs) no i i think probably the worst movie i've seen this year is the gray man i would agree with you um you told me it was bad but i for some reason we wanted to watch it and it was just we got through it i don't know how we got through the whole thing but i I think by the end of it, both my son and myself were on our phones. I think my wife even got on her phone. And I, I don't like movies where they have a villain, which is like, what's his face? Um, Thor there. Not Thor, right? Captain America. Uh, what's Captain that? America, yeah. He's spending the entire time chewing up scenery with these awful one-liners. And it's just the whole yeah. movie just... I'm wondering why Ryan Gosling hasn't made anything in a while. Why, why this? They must have just paid him an enormous amount of money. Yeah, well, and also I think there is, I was thinking about Jake Gyllenhaal the other day, as I often do. He's going to be in the new roadhouse. <laughs> yes, he is. But I was I, I was sort of glancing over his filmography and I saw uh, Prince of Persia uh, on, on the list there. Did you ever see this movie? During the past year, you came on twice on my movie morning and we did that whole Jake Gyllenhaal thing. Yes. Yeah. I did, come on. I didn't see Prince of Persia. No. Okay, so my point about Prince Prince of Persia is uh, that I think there's an attraction for certain actors of the idea of getting into an action franchise. 
Yes. Because it can be a really good thing for your career and you make a ton of money. Yeah. And so I think I think Gyllenhaal did Prince of Persia on the idea that it may turn into a franchise. And I think Gosling, same attraction to The Gray Man, which is this could turn into a, uh, you know, an action franchise. Well, it is based on a series of books that my uncle tells me that he loves. He loves these books, but I don't think that the movie really reflected the books at all <laughs> that much. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there, there's been time talk of them franchising it and possibly turning it into a TV series. And I, I think it would be much better as a TV series. Well, there's like um, the the one uh, that was at the beginning of this year that came out on Amazon that was, it was an enjoyable action-y thing. It was The Reacher. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that, that was fine dad TV, you know? <laughs> uh, and I think The Gray Man could sort of fit. But there's a problem with these Netflix movies. And I, I read a review somewhere, of, I think of The Gray Man, uh, where it basically said that the Netflix action movies are they they feel like they're fan fiction of blockbusters. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like that Ryan Reynolds movie garbage that they had on. Which one? One that we did. We actually did an episode where we like did a, a Netflix watch party on it. Yeah, I don't remember it. See, it's that it was directed by Michael Bay. <laughs> oh, that Michael Bay one. Yeah, the Six Underground. That's well, it. I also I also saw Red Notice twice. Yeah, what is that? Uh, well, that's with Ryan Reynolds and The Rock and Gal Gadot. Oh, right. I had no desire to see that. Yeah, I've seen it twice. Why did you see it twice? Well, because my 10-year-old oh, now loves okay. PG-13 okay. action right, movies. Right, right. And she, and she, aside from Tom Cruise, she loves Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. Okay, I got it. Yeah, she thinks they're totally fun. She loves Ryan Reynolds largely because of Free Guy. I hated that. Oh, you hated Free Guy? Yeah, she loves it. I mean, I guess if I was 10, like your kid, yeah, maybe. Yeah, she's 10 and she's into video games. And so, and she thinks Ryan Reynolds is funny. I don't find him that funny, but, you know, if I was 10, I might find him funny. <laughs> Anyhow, these Netflix movies are generally just bad. I haven't found any that I really like, other than when they do their year-end, you know, Oscar bait sure, films, when the, a couple of yeah. those are okay. But. but even still, you know, I was thinking about The Irishman. Yes. Which I really like, Yeah, but it's not the best Scorsese movie. Well, is it so supposed to be the best? See, I just remember I saw it in the theater. Oh, okay. And That's a it felt not like a Netflix movie because I watched it in the theater. Right. First. I, I, I think something about being on Netflix sort of uh, reduces these movies in a way. And, and it's kind of like we were talking about with Prey. Yeah. Where it, if it had gotten a theatrical release, you, you sort of think more of it. But just when something gets churned into the Netflix sludge, it's kind of like everything. Well, and Netflix is worse than Hulu in this respect. Well, they don't feel like they care. They're just putting out content. Yes. And that means they. it's almost like they don't really they don't really care about their audience. Yes, exactly. And this is why I think the Knives Out sequel is going to suck. Uh, <laughs> simply because it's a Netflix movie. And possibly because they threw so much money at it that, yes. you know, Ryan Johnson's probably like, oh my God, this is like, great. I'll make, I'll, and so the question is when you throw that much money, you have to come up with a story, whether you have one or not. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I mean, I'm willing to give it a chance, but I'm oh, not, I'll, you know. I'll, I'll definitely watch it. And maybe we'll talk about it on a future show. Yeah. Uh, another movie that I saw from the last year that I was really disappointed in, even though I don't like this director, I, I don't like any of his I think movies. I know where this one's coming. <laughs> Guess. Go ahead. Men. 
Yes. Yeah, because it's Alex Garland. I don't like Alex Garland. and well, He's only made a few movies, right? Well, okay, but he wrote the book, The Beach. Yes. And I read that book okay. soon after it first came out. I think it had just come out in paper paperback. So like before the movie came out yeah. of The Beach. And I hated the book. Oh. Well, <laughs> did you ever see the movie? And then I saw the movie and I hated the movie too. Why would you see the movie if you hated the book? I was curious. Okay. I mean, it's not yeah. a good movie, but. Yeah, it's not a good movie, but I, I hated the book. And so, uh, and then he did this Annihilation movie. And oh, that's right. I didn't really like that that much either. I read that book before I even knew it was going to be a movie. And there's some great stuff in that book. And none of the great stuff, none of the stuff I loved in the book is in the movie. My wife's a big fan of that book. She liked the movie too, but I just thought the movie was a little cold. And I didn't like Ex Machina that much. Me neither. I, I found it boring. I liked that little mini limited series Devs, however, that he made. Okay, I didn't watch that. So anyhow, I'm just not a big fan of his. And this Men movie is... This movie should have been a Netflix movie. <laughs> well, it should have. The thing is, it's a great idea for a short. Yeah, it's a 20-minute movie that's turned into a full-length feature film. Yeah, and if it if it had been 20 minutes, I would have thought it was fantastic. As it is, it's just so oh, it's just so overindulgent, I guess. It has one great sequence, which is this sort of body horror uh, special effects sequence, which I thought was, in a horror film, special effects kind of, you know, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I... Uh, in, in that sense, I thought it was a great sequence. It was something I hadn't seen before in, in you know, sort of special makeup effects and CGI. The whole concept of it was great. And it's like, you know, three to five minutes long. And I thought that was fantastic. And the rest of the movie was dismal. Yeah. I mean, I just, I saw, I got it. I saw where it was going and I knew how it was going to end in a way. And it just... I, I like I said I couldn't believe this was a greenlit film. It really, yeah, it was. It just didn't have enough to sustain a full length. So, can't recommend that. Uh, did you see The Northman? I did. Okay, and of course, that Northman's from the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse, which we both enjoyed. Yes, and I'm yeah, I'm a big fan of The Lighthouse. I <sighs> doesn't sound like you like this. <laughs> I had mixed feelings on The Northman. I mean, I, I liked, I was happy to see it in the theater, you know, like it kind of enjoyed, like uh, the visuals were just delicious. Um, I, I, For the most part, yes. You know, but uh, I mean, it was, it was your basic, you know, Viking revenge story, right? There wasn't anything really different about it. There's not a lot of story to it, at least for the first two thirds of the movie. I feel like it sort of starts to get into some interesting story towards the end. Basically, when he shows up to save his mother, I feel like... That's a that was a good twist, and it sort of gave the movie more depth. Nicole Kidman was great in that movie, right? She's she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. like it's, I haven't liked her in a movie that much in a long time. Yeah, she was fantastic. I mean, it, 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 it's a good movie, but because of the witch and the lighthouse, I was expecting something visionary. Well, I think this is what happens when a visionary director gets hired to make a big, big movie. Yeah, and so I, I feel like this movie suffered from my expectations being too high and that, you know, there's there's great stuff in it, but it, it just was not... Okay, so <laughs> I was recently uh, flipping through Criterion Channel with my 
10-year-old. Okay. Looking for those rock action movies? Well, I, I said, you know, sometimes, you know, she'll watch like a Buster Keaton movie with yeah, me yeah, or yeah. something. Or, you know, I'll sort of say, let's check this out. So I said, I said, let's check out Bicycle Thieves. Because I thought, you know, that's she could get that, right? This <laughs> said, I've also gotten her to start watching Berlin Alexanderplatz. <laughs> okay. Um, because it's been a joke in our family for years now. Gotcha. That, you know, she would say, let's watch a movie. And I'd say, how about Berlin Alexanderplatz? <laughs> and she'd be like, what's that? And I'd be like, well, it's this 14-hour movie. <laughs> and so it just became this joke in our family that, hey, you want to watch, like, you know, hey, it's family movie night. Let's watch Berlin Alexanderplatz. So I actually got her to start watching it. Uh, we've watched maybe the first, 20 or 30 minutes of it and she loves it that's pretty cool uh so anyhow I, I started watching bicycle thieves with her and pretty much shot for shot you know and i've seen this movie multiple times but watching it with her you know when you watch a movie with your kids you see it through their eyes a little bit and pretty much shot for shot i was just amazed by this movie by the by the framing, by the control over the frame, by the layered meaning and storytelling of each shot. I, I just was blown away by it. You know, we only watched maybe the first 20 minutes. That feeling that I had, even though it's a movie I've seen a bunch, it's an old movie, that feeling that I had of just kind of being in the presence of such a controlled and refined vision from a director i wanted that feeling from the northman and i didn't get it i got this is a good movie but i felt like the camera moves were predictable <laughs> i feel like i would have liked the movie a lot more if it was in black and white maybe there'll be a chrome edition <laughs> maybe there'll be a chrome edition but i loved the nighttime cinematography because it almost looked black and white so anyhow i just was not as moved by the movie cinematically or on the character level either but uh, so on a script level it's a little flat for me but in terms of the filmmaking i felt like it was really solid but it wasn't at the uh, you know i wanted i wanted like a kubrick level i mean not even that high but i wanted something i was expecting something visionary and what i got was something pretty good well this kind of falls into this category of like we've been you know behind the scenes going back and forth on a few different possible theme ideas and uh, yeah. there's one of like the uh the, the sophomore slump uh but there's yes. also the idea of the junior film slump where the third movie <laughs> the junior slump and this is this was one that might fall into that category of like you know the junior slump where maybe it's sort of a resume builder where you're going to look at the whole right. filmography and then find things that you like about the northman but um i think that's what happens when you get a real visionary director you expect a higher level every single time from that yes. filmmaker and uh yeah, but I think that's probably good. I mean, we've talked about a ton of movies here. Okay, um, wait, one, oh, one wait, more movie. See, this is what happens. Because we're doing the catching up. Okay, yeah. And we can never so catch up one, again. There's one last movie. Yeah, we can never catch up again. And maybe I think this might be incorporated in a future show. But there's also the, uh, not the senior slump, but the senior comeback. And by senior, I mean the director is over oh, 80. Oh, yes. And I'm talking about Crimes of the Future. David Cronenberg. We thought he might never make another movie, but he's back. 
he comes back with this thing. And so far, this is my favorite movie of the year. You even like it more than Everywhere All at Once. Yes. Wow. And part of that is because I won't argue that it's necessarily a better movie, but but it tickles all my buttons. We had mentioned earlier with the Paul Thomas Anderson, when you watch a film by Cronenberg, you just, you, there's no one else that makes, that you could say, this is David Cronenberg movie. Yes. And partly is that because he like has this artistic um, like design sense, he crafts uh, like objects in his movies yes. that that have his actual unique artistic style to them. So it, yeah, like the bed. Yeah. And the, well, and also like the orifices of this, like yes. of the sensual stuff, like it all looks like it's part of that Lynch world. Like you could, and not Lynch world. Um, Cronenberg, world. That Cronenberg yeah. world. Like you, you see dead ringers in it. You see uh, scanners, you see, Definitely Videodrome all over this movie. Yeah. In addition to the visuals is that he creates a world. And he did the same thing in Videodrome and a bunch of other movies where where he doesn't clearly define the world. But you get the sense that the world is clearly defined. He just doesn't feel like doing a bunch of exposition on how everything works. And so you're sort of just getting the edges of this whole concept. And it's such an intriguing world. You don't know exactly when it takes place. Yeah, it's some kind of futuristic world, but you're not but he's not like, oh, here, this is the future. Here's when it is, here's where it is. Well, and it's futuristic, but it's also archaic, yeah. right? So, like, it, it, it's Naked Lunch, very similar kind of thing, where it's like, it's kind of futuristic, but it also takes place in the 50s. And <laughs> um, and so, it's such a unique visual and story world that's a part of a complete vision that could only come from this one person. I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I'm going to watch it at least you know, two more times probably, but it made me sort of, it made me realize there's a bunch of Cronenberg movies I've missed. You have? Yeah. Like what? Um, Maps to the Stars. Seen it. Um, I'm a completionist. Well, I'm- uh, <laughs> Cosmopolis? I loved it. Seen it. Spider? Yes. I like Spider. My least favorite of his movies. I never saw Dangerous Method. I love it. And I, um, these are the ones I missed. Eastern Promises. What? No, 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 no. Time out. Time out. T -t -t Time out. Yeah. That's one of his best movies. Like it's Vigo. I know. Oh my God. How could you have missed that? I just, I, you know, sometimes you just miss something. I, yeah, I just missed it. And so I'm now going back into, uh, Chrono cause I, I, I love all his early movies. He was one of my first loves as a, uh, as, as a teenager, as a young movie fan. I, I think Videodrome was probably my first one. Don't, don't tell me you never saw a history of violence. Oh, I've seen that. Yes. <sighs> cause that's a phenomenal. But, yes. I mean, no, only, I gave you the three I missed. The only one I didn't see was M Butterfly. I saw that. Didn't see it. That's the only one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I even like Existent and <laughs> I, I, I saw that in the theater. I love it. I mean, I've seen, I've seen Shivers. I've seen Rabbit. I've seen the yeah. Brood, Scanners, Videodrome. I'm looking up the list. The Dead Zone yeah. is one of my favorites. The Fly, uh, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, M Butterfly. Yeah. I didn't see Crash, Existence. Uh, Spider, History of Violence, Eastern Promises, Dangerous Method, Cosmopolis, 
Map to the Stars. Uh, Map to the Stars is you're going to be a little disappointed in that one, I think. Yeah, and Crimes of the Future is sort of like a it's it's getting back to his roots. Yeah, and I think he's just such a like you were saying. He designs these objects, and they feel like they come out of his subconscious somehow. And it's such a unique vision. It's and it just. I mean, so part of the reason I rank this above everything everywhere all at once is just because it's, I feel like I've lived my whole life with this guy. It's true. It's like, I mean, well, you know, again, like our own sort of nostalgia, there are certain yeah. filmmakers that we loved, right, growing up, and then they don't make movies anymore, and yet they may be still alive, but yeah. it's it's really a weird thing. Like when, they, when, when, a, when a person that, you know, we grew up, like a filmmaker dies- it's kind of finality, like, okay. But when yeah. they're still around, but they haven't made a movie in like 10 years, there's that weird emptiness of like, you're like, feel like it's not complete because you just think that these filmmakers should always be making movies, right? Exactly. Um, and that's like recently with John Carpenter, right? He's still around. Yes. There's been interviews. He's kind of cranky. Um, and he hasn't made a movie in a really long time. And he doesn't really want to. Yeah, and then I just read recently, like, I'm sorry, recently today, that uh, one of my all-time favorite directors, Peter Weir, he is now 78, but he hasn't made a movie in 12 years. Yeah. So he, he retired in the 60s. And Cronenberg is what, like 108? <laughs> no, he's like in his, like, he's starting to get into his mid-late 70s, um, but he's got another yeah. movie that he's going to be working on. Like, I think it goes in spurts where the director can't, you know, he can't buy a a, a magazine like they, they won't give right. them anything and it's hard to get the funding but then you get the funding for one and suddenly it's like oh yeah cronenberg and he's remembered again and then suddenly he's able to get financing for another movie well and this movie was well received and was basically made on zero budget uh, you know but it doesn't but that's kind of what i love about it is that he does so much with such a small budget well he's inventive <laughs> He's inventive, and and I love the cinematography. I mean, just like every aspect of this movie, I just it just really appeals to me. I like body horror. I was actually expecting the movie to be more disturbing than it was. No, he's leaving that to his son now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we already discussed that. But uh, you know, he was sort of carrying on his father's uh, mantle, but his dad's kind of showing him, "Hey, look, this is me. This is what I can do." It also features a great performance by Kristen Stewart. It does, yes. Much better than uh, the new Charlie's Angels movie. Didn't see that, but did you see her, the Oscar nominee performance, uh, the Diana movie? I did not. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I just can't really get into biopics usually. It's just not, I'm, it's just, they're all the same. It's just not a genre that really. I have a question then. Speaking of that, coming out in just like a couple of weeks, there's that Andrew Dominic movie there about. I'm Marilyn. looking forward to that. So you're going to watch that, right? Oh, absolutely. Right, so we, we, that's a mission. We got to we got to talk about that because I will watch that opening weekend when it's on Netflix. Okay, so here's my challenge for it's not a challenge. Here here's my assignment for you before watching Blonde. I have an assignment. Okay, and it but if you haven't seen this movie, oh okay, The Goddess. What's that? It is a movie uh, written by Patty Kajewski. Okay. And came out in the 50s. And yeah, 1958, The Goddess, written by Patty Kajewski. And Kajewski kind of had a crush on Marilyn Monroe. Okay. And so th this is his take on Marilyn Monroe. 
can I also then, if I've seen it, I'm not rewatching it again because I, I rewatch yeah. it, I've watched it in the last couple of years, but can I throw out, if we're going to do on, the, on our Marilyn Monroe episode, Yeah, my challenge to you is you could pick any of the other like Marilyn Monroe ones. It was like my, my week with Marilyn, which I thought was pretty terrible. But yeah, I never saw that. The really interesting one is the Nicholas Rogue one. Oh yeah, I did see that years ago. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, that is real. Okay, I'll totally watch Where that. Where his wife yeah, I mean, plays a version of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I, I'm into the weird Marilyn movies. I this the sort of more standard. You know, wasn't there one with Ashley Judd? I think that was a TV movie. It was, and yeah, there's I been like, <laughs> there's been at least a dozen Maryland TV movies. No, I'm excited about this one only because I think the approach is different. Yeah, well, and the goddess is not about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, it's about her without being about her. Exactly, and it's Kim Stanley in a great performance, and so anyhow, that's it, it, it's it's a. It's a cinema, cinephile curiosity, the goddess. Ooh, I like that. You're coming up with these. You waited a whole year. You could come come up and we could savor these things like cinematic curiosity. <laughs> cinematic curiosities. Well, you know, and I, I'm just a huge uh, Patty Kajewski fan in general. See, this is good. We thought, I was like, maybe the reason why we haven't done the show is, is just we've done it all, but we have not clearly done oh, it all. No, we have not even scratched the surface. We've got, we're going to be doing a Claude Chabral show coming up soon. Oh, oh boy. I got to brush up on my Claude Pro. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you the reason why uh, we're doing Claude Chabral okay. is because... Uh, Set your watches, people. Is because Tarantino said in an interview recently that he thinks of Francois Truffaut right. the, same, the same way he thinks of Ed Wood as a bumbling amateur. <laughs> <laughs> and that for his money, the French new wave director who really is at a high level is Claude Chabral. Okay, I'll I'll take that challenge. It's made me realize, okay, I've only seen like one or two Claude Chabral movies. I got to, you know, if, if Tarantino is saying this, yeah, I got to check it out. This is my own personal um, criteria. I yeah. always feel that if you're judging a director's work, the director must have at least four films that you can watch before you can really get a flavor, um, which yes. is which is interesting is why, um, uh, what's his face from the director of The Northman? He's made three movies. We haven't gotten the fourth yeah. one yet. So we just don't know. I feel like four movies, you got to have at least. You can start to evaluate somebody. Yeah. Um, but also, Chabral had an incredibly long career. What I'm saying is, though, we got to leak, probably because he has a lot of films, we have yeah. to see a minimum of five Claude Chabral movies. Yes, totally agree. That has yeah. to be, so, and we have to pick it, them. It, so. It, so, yeah, this is going to be a little while before we do this show. I'm not doing but it tomorrow. <laughs> no, it, it, it's on the back burner. It's something to be thinking about in terms of. Uh, I already like you it. You know, if, if you're if you're one of your listeners, these are some of the coming attractions that we're throwing out here. Yeah, you might be a new listener because we've been gone so long that we have to get new ones. <laughs> it's just the way. <laughs> he made seventy five things. Yes. Wow, I'm trying to look at some of these and, names. And, and look at the look at the date, uh, look at the year on the first one and the year on the last one. Yeah, 58 all the way to 2010. Yes. Well, I think that we just if unless we can't get our hands on it, we probably should watch the first one, La Beau Serge. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what we can what we can dig up, what we can find, and ooh, 
We should watch Bluebeard because Bluebeard's a whole genre of movies, and that might lead us to a future Bluebeard episode. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. So maybe, all right. So I'm getting excited already. Are you feeling the excitement, people out there? I hope so. I'm feeling the excitement. Yeah, I just don't know where to go with him because I don't think I've really seen any of his movies. I'm just being honest. Yeah, so uh, no, this is just something that uh, the Tarantino quote really made me, because I like Truffaut, and- (laughs) Yeah, so now you're like, well, wait a minute, then we got to- Wait a minute. Let's talk wait about Chabral. Who's this, who's this Claude Chabral guy? Like, he's the French Hitchcock. Wow, he's never, never was nominated for, his movies were never nominated for Best Foreign Film or anything. Well, yeah, I mean, he he basically, made, as far as I can tell, made thrillers. All right, well, I like thrillers, so- Yeah, he's not as artsy as Truffaut, which is maybe why Tarantino likes him. Hmm. All right. Well, well, definitely, Claude Chabrol, that's not a name that uh, comes up every day anymore. So we will revisit him in a future episode. Now, here we, here we are, people. I just want to make sure in case it's like, you know, you get this episode, you're like, well, when's the next one? Because you're so excited. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, I think that with Teal's schedule, you know, he's busy. So... I'm not saying that you never know. There might be that occasion where you get uh, two two episodes, you know, in a row, like two weeks, two episodes. But I right. think we're going to try to be realistic and try to shoot for every other week to tape. Yeah. And that I think that really gives us time to dig in on watching some things for our theme that week or that, that bi-week. <laughs> we're going to shoot for every two weeks. Uh, so twice a month on most months. Yeah. So like... Uh, you know, when, when we're finished with this taping, uh, Teal will get back to me with whether he thinks the next theme should be, and then we will make sure that we've watched some stuff, you know, for that. Exactly. And so, and I, and that's where he's going to be taking that role involvement where I, I, you know, I, I may come up with themes, but I like him to say, let's do this. Cause then he's also maybe more engaged to want to watch those films. <laughs> yeah. I, I pick things that I'm motivated to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as always, we will try to bring in, if we see something new, we'll try to bring that into the discussion too. I've got such a list of movies I want to watch right now. And unfortunately I'm not getting around to them because I've gotten hooked on better call Saul. Yeah. It's my fault. Right. Cause I told <laughs> it you it is your fault. It. I blame you. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it well, was hard. Are, wait, to watch. Can I ask you what season are you on? Two. Oh, you're only on. Oh, you got a long way to go. I'm almost done with two. Oh, you got a uh, long I got way to go. One or two more episodes. Yeah, I've got a long way to go. Uh, but you know, it was hard for like three days. I I, I, I was saying, oh, I got to watch The Northman. I got to watch The Northman. Can't do it tonight. I'm going to watch Saul. It's the best. So <laughs> totally, it's a little painful at times. Uh, there's a there was a scene in a recent episode where. Michael McKeon is talking about uh, their father and how Jimmy stole from the till. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Up, yeah. And, and, he's, and he has this line. He says, my brother is not a bad person. He's got a good heart. He just can't help himself. And the rest of us have to pick up the pieces. And that he can't help himself bit is so hard for me to watch sometimes. Hmm. Because I just don't want him to do that thing. I know, but that's like, of course, that's a key moment because that's the, that's sort of the secret. This is a guy. And I think that's what makes the series when you get through all the work is that he's a guy who literally does kind of know. It's not that he doesn't know right from wrong, but he cannot help himself. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, that's basically that line sort of summed up the premise of the show for me. But also, you know, I just want him to. I just want something to go right for him, you know, and 
he just keeps screwing up because he can't help himself. You're going to be on such a journey because this is a show that I feel season after season gets better and richer. And that's hard for seasons to do. Um, And then towards the end, there are episodes that rival and surpass Breaking Bad in intensity and just like, whoa. Yeah. And I think part of what's going on here is just that Vince Gilligan plans ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's such a great... But that's why it gets, you know, it it, it elevates season over season is because he's not just like, oh, I guess we got to do another season. What do we do now? No, he's got a plan. This is a show, this is a retcon that works and instead it enriches the Breaking Bad experience. It doesn't demean it. Um, So again, you haven't gotten all the way through, but it's certainly for newbies out there who say never took... Uh, the Better Call Saul challenge, but only watch Breaking Bad, get to it. But if you haven't watched either, you should still watch Breaking Bad first. I was going to ask that question, actually. Yeah, okay. It's it's inevitable because eventually the two worlds collide more and more. Right. And you don't want certain things in Breaking Bad to be spoiled. Oh, okay. So if you've never watched either, you really should watch Breaking Bad, whereas Breaking Bad didn't know what Better Call Saul was going to be. So I don't think it spoils anything in Better Call Saul. Okay. I was wondering about that. I can tell you, and again, we're, we, this is classic. We always run, run way over time. <laughs> but the funny thing is, I didn't see Breaking Bad when it first was on. And I missed out. And then I heard that there was going to be this show uh, this prequel show, and I like Bob Odenkirk, so I said, "Well, maybe I'll start there." It's a prequel show. I watched the oh. whole first season by myself. Ginger watched the first episode, and it just didn't grab her. Yeah, I started watching the second season, and I knew a guy online that watched it, and I said to him, "Oh man, boy, you you watched the Better Call Saul last night? This was in season two. It was like three episodes or four episodes right. in." I'm like, "This is," and there was some great blah blah blah, and he's like, "Oh yeah." They're they're in the the the, the Breaking Bad. I'm like, what? It was the first time that I watched oh, a show, wow. even thinking that there would be characters in both. I just didn't even have that awareness, right? And no, and so then he goes, oh well, you know, like he's like, you know, like Mike Ehrmantraut. I found the Mike Ehrmantraut character so fascinating that yeah, my jaw so was dropped that this character was in Breaking Bad, and I immediately said to my, I was like, we got to watch. We gotta. You gotta start watching Better Call Saul, catch up, and then let's watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> so we actually then watch Breaking Bad. Oh, okay. And so- yeah, I watched. <laughs> I watched Breaking Bad when it was on. Yeah, I missed out, but I've seen it now twice because then my son wanted to watch it. Right. And then we kept on trying to tell him to watch Better Call Saul, and he refused. And then over the summer, of course, you know, he had time. He loves to binge things. He binged. All the seasons of Better Call Saul within like two weeks so that he could watch the finale live with us. That's awesome. Yeah. And he loved like being immersed in it for two weeks. He was a he was a convert. By the end of it, he's like, that was as good, if not better, than Breaking Bad. Yeah, and that's yeah, I'm just totally hooked on that right now. But I'll squeeze in some movies before our next episode. It's not gonna be all Saul for me. It's not okay. It's, it's, it's all good, man. <laughs> It's all good, man. All right. Well, okay. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, we're wrapping it up. Hey, thank you, um, listeners. I hope this is like an exciting moment to hear that we're back. 
um, and doing the show that you know you loved. You, Mor- Morlock was kind of like, I don't know, it was like Grease 2. <laughs> it wasn't what you th- it really wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Um, but, uh, you know, so to some of our longtime fans, like uh, Bill from Queens. Uh, Bill, yeah, our only fan, Bill from no, Queens. No, we also have. I know, I know. I'm, I'm just, I like to think fans. of him as our uh, only our, fan. Our other devoted fan is the great Craig Wasson. And yes. I'm sure that Craig, when you hear that, you'll be delighted to, to find this is back. Cause I know he was like, I kept on checking to see if you had any new episodes and you didn't. And I was kind of telling him, think it's over, pal. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing it anymore. <laughs> I said, I'll promise I'll drop you a line and tell you about stuff that you should watch. But I didn't tell anybody that we were doing this. Uh, so Me neither. So uh, this is pretty exciting. And yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased to be back. This is this is going to be fun. All right. Well, again, uh, looking forward to uh, coming at you a couple times a month, fans, and talking about stuff that we've seen. All right. Later. And you can say goodbye, too. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to cut right then. No. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>